the pursuit of Jesus, hope for giving everything to God, is the most thrilling life on the planet. I want to talk tonight about your calling. So I want to read out of Luke chapter 4, verse 31. It's talking about Jesus here. Verse 31, it says, It says, When he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. And he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him, Jesus, spread throughout the surrounding area. And Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and rebuked the fever and, left, and, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to, get, to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So I want you to imagine here, this is Capernaum. And here Jesus comes along and Jesus is so effective in ministry that it says twice that the people were amazed. They were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at healings. They were amazed that he was able to cast out demons. And Jesus in Capernaum was successful. In, in Capernaum, Jesus was doing miracles. Jesus was casting out demons. And the people were amazed. The te- people said, he has such great authority. It's obvious. This guy is incredible. This guy's amazing. And what I, what I want us to see first is right here at the end where it says, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. So he went out. He got alone with his father. He left all the busyness of successful ministry got alone to be with his father. And when he came back, the people were looking for him. The people went out trying to find him. Or you could say this, ministry came looking for him. Ministry came after him. In other words, he was so successful that people said, we want more of you. We want you to do stuff. All of us know as we go through youth ministry ideas and things, it never ends. Right? Especially when, when God's doing stuff. There is, a, there's, there's more sermons to preach. There's more kids to have one-on-one times with. There's more leaders to create. There's more programs. There's more ideas. There's more stuff. And people keep coming and knocking. People keep saying, I want more. I want you to do stuff. And the, the first thing I want you to see here is Jesus' response. Jesus looks at them. When they come to him, they're coming. They're chasing him down. And he says... I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns. 
says, I'm leaving. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm not staying. He says, I'm going. And the thing I love about this is I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns because that is why I was sent. So Jesus, alone with his father, has an understanding of why he was sent. He has an understanding of his calling. He has an understanding of what he's supposed to do. And so even in the midst of a whole lot of good things, I mean, casting out demons, miracles, authority and preaching, we'd all take it. We'd all be like, sweet, that's good ministry. Rock on Larry Boy. Let's do some of that, right? And yet Jesus says, even in the midst of good things, he says, I know why I was sent. In other words, I know what my calling is. And so he goes against the flow of what's easy and says, I'm going to go preach the gospel. I'm a missionary. I'm on mission. I'm going to go and I'm going to take the gospel to other towns. God has sent me. I know I, I know what my calling is. He's laser clear. It's laser clear. And so people can't distract him. People come to him and they're, they're trying to get him to do other stuff. And Jesus won't detour from his assignment. God's given him assignment, he's laser focused, and even though, even though he was great at all these other things, even though he could, he could stop there and he could set up camp, he could start Capernaum First Church, right? He could establish it, he could live the good life there, and yet he's doing exactly what he knows his father has called him to do. The reason why I want to point this out tonight is in my own journey, this is one of the things I've been wrestling with. Because God has given each one of us a calling and an assignment. The problem in America is that we have options. We've got so many options. Or you could say it this way. We have potential. Right? Because we've got connections. We've got gifts. We've got abilities. And the temptation for you and for me is oftentimes... To forget calling and pursue potential. When I was a kid, I was, you know, I had to sing the song, I am a promise, I am a possibility. Did you ever sing that song? I'm a promise with a capital P. I am a great big bundle of potentiality. Remember that song? It was ingrained in us. It's what we think. It's what I think. Hey, I got potential. That's kind of the American way. Hey, I got gifts and skills and talents. I got options. And yet when we said yes to Jesus... When we chose to be not just Christ followers, but actually leaders, there's an assignment and there's a calling. And the temptation is to pursue all the other things and to look at God and go, God, come on, God, give me something better. I don't want to do this. I want to detour on my assignment because I want a better assignment. I'm tired of this assignment. I'm bored with this assignment. My senior pastor's crazy. There's no money and I live in a place with no people. Help. And I got an amen. All right. (laughs) That's all of our temptation. Our temptation is to look and say, I want options more than I want obedience. And we've got it. We've got options. We're connected through the internet. We're connected in social media. We're connected to news. We're connected to other churches. We're connected to, and and we live in it. I mean, it's so a part of who we are. I mean, you live on Twitter and and Facebook and you've got people constantly telling you about their successes. And on the inside, you've got a video uh, inside you imagining what it would be like if you were somewhere else. 
Imagine what it would be like if you were doing something else. And maybe that's not just a relocation ministry. Sometimes that is business. I can make more money. I can be a movie star. I can be a rock star. I can do something other than this church with this pastor and these pathetic teenagers. That's what we think. And the enemy comes to us and goes, hey, you're a great big bundle of potentiality. You've got options. Leave this assignment and do something more fun. Do something more rewarding. Make more money. Get more applause from people. Live in a place that's more pretty, whatever. And everybody's from Texas said, yeah, yeah. Just kidding, Blake, just kidding. All right. And that's so much. I'm, I'm saying this, and, and really this message tonight is, 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 this is, this is from my gut of just, just hanging, just, just doing this, just being around this. I, I, I started doing youth ministry stuff when I was 18. I'm 36 now, so half my life. And it just, it never changes. This is the, this, it's the same story. It's just different places, different people. But we live in this. And we think that a new, new geography, new church, new salary, surely that's going to make my life better. And tonight, I just want to encourage you. There's a time and there's a season where the Lord is saying, new geography, new church, and that's great. That's fine. But I think we think about it more than God actually says it. I think our diet consists of a lot of anxiety thinking about our options. Because truly contentment has started to go down. And we've started to find more identity in ministry than Jesus. And therefore we want a ministry solution that will kill the gnawing in our soul. And God is inviting us saying, no, no, I want you to come be with me in a solitary place. And after being with me, you'll step onto the scene of ministry and know exactly what you're called to do. You've got an assignment. And more than potential. Listen, you've got potential, but potential can be your biggest enemy. I mean, you could look at every single one of us. You could just stand up and we could talk about you and we could all talk about your potential. And we could say, well, you've got this skill and this gift and maybe you could do this and maybe you could do this. The problem is, is that for each one of us, Jesus doesn't look at us and say, hey, I want you to fulfill every single possibility, every single potential that you have. He says, I want you to obey. I want you to be obedient to the assignment, to the calling that I've given you. And he's the creator. We just prayed Isaiah 40. He's the creator. He, cre- he knows your potential. When we stand before God one day, he's not going to look at us and go and be like marveling at our potential gifts. He created us. What's going to move his heart is when we were obedient to the one thing that he called us to do. That's what's going to move his heart. The well done moment is going to be when we, were, when we actually said no to our options. When we actually were willing to forego some of the options to be laser clear on the assignment that God's called us to. So you've got, you've got calling, you've got options, you've got abilities. But tonight I want to encourage you, I want to encourage myself. 
to say yes to the very narrow way, the very specific assignment. Sometimes for us, sometimes busyness is the sin. In other words, sometimes if Jesus has called you to something specific and the enemy can't get you to live in grotesque sin, some kind of lust or greed that's immoral, or he'll just get you busy doing lots of stuff. And if he can get you busy doing lots of stuff, then quite possibly you won't fill your assignment. Tonight, I, I want to just uh, for us to wait on God and ask, what's our assignment? What have you called me to do? Who have you called me to be and what have you called me to do? And that's not always like, you know, a burning bush where God, where, you know, herding goats and God says, go do miracles in Egypt. I mean, that was nice for Moses, but most of it for us, it's not quite that graphic. It's following that gentle whisper. And that's hard. Because we want the big moment. We want an audible voice. We want some kind of, some miraculous thing because it's so hard. And yet, that is our test. To stay faithful and be obedient to these little whispers. These little just nudges. And it's, we're banking our whole lives on those. And it's hard. But it is, it is the way that we move forward in Jesus. It is the Christian journey. And so sometimes the way that the enemy distracts us is busyness. And sometimes it's not grotesque sin. Sometimes it's just ministry vanity. Sometimes you've got purity going. You've got your giving is good. You're, I mean, you're living your interior life, your, kind of your secret life really well. But in public, you've started comparing yourself to other people, looking at Twitter and everybody's like, hey, this Wednesday night I had 10,000 kids and, you know, at the, and my wife won a beauty pageant last night and my son is the state wrestling champion 17 years in a row and, you know, like, we just, we just, we, we just, we start to feel just the comparison and, the, and it just starts all over again, you know, oh God, <laughs> deliver me from this place. Look at everybody else. They're living the good life and I'm stuck. That's where a lot of us live. And, and here's the deal. It's not just you. Because even the people that you think are living some kind of life, most of them are got interior wrestling, interior traffic that's messing them up, them up too. So our call is to be faithful and even, even, even being sensitive to not allowing ministry vanity in our calling to start to cause us to sin. Henry Nouwen, he writes about this. He talks about the temptations that the enemy does with Jesus. And they're all related to ministry. You know, Matthew, the story where the enemy comes and tempts Jesus. And he comes to him and he tempts him to turn stones into bread. To basically be relevant. To come and say, hey, do something now. Be who you say you are. Let's, 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 let's do something cool. Let's do something right now. Turn these stones into bread. I want to see something cool. What Henry Nouwen says is, do something spectacular. Throw yourself from the temple. Come on, be spectacular. Be relevant. If you'll bow down to me, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. Be powerful. And Jesus knows laser clear who he is. And he's got biblical reference to stand and respond clearly to the enemy and say, nope, nope, nope. I know who I am. I know what God's called me to. I know what my father has called me to do. And I'm going to be faithful in that. 
And so quite possibly your temptation that would be a distraction from calling is busyness, ministry vanity. Of course, we know of sin, grotesque sin, that always is the case and always lurking at the door. But you as a youth minister or a senior pastor or whoever you are, we are called, I am called, all of us are called to go be with God and to know exactly what he's called us to do and to stay faithful in it through good days and bad. When I was 16, I uh, was meeting with my dad. and My dad was committed to making disciples and when he suddenly had triplets, he went into shock and uh, then had my, my brother. And so there's four of us. And so David, Dana, Deborah, and Dan. And my dad was committed to uh, spending time with each one of us weekly in order to just help us walk as disciples. And I'll never forget when I was 16. I had a weekly meeting with my dad, but one of the ones that marked my life significantly was I was 16 and we were sitting at a Burger King and, and uh, I, was, I, I was hyper, hyper uh, committed to reaching my high school for Jesus. And I had given myself to so many different things. I was, I was, just, I was busy in, with jobs and, and, and at my church and I was just doing lots and lots of different things. And there was a moment, it's one of those moments that just becomes like a, an arrow to your heart. You know what I'm talking about? And it was, it was a moment where I knew the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and he just, he, I, I, I was whining to my dad. I was telling him, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I got so much going on. And he said this, he said, he said, David, you no longer have time for good things. You only have time for God things. And as you lead in your local church, in your local, in your, wherever that is, I believe God is calling us to focus in on our calling specifically and do the assignment that he's called us to. And we don't have time for merely good things. We have time only for the God things, the, the specific thing that he's called you to do, to be laser clear, laser focused. I was meeting with one of my friends, Aaron Stern, a few years ago at Starbucks. And I had another moment like that where I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me through him. Because he looked at me and he said, David, I've heard you preach the sermon-focused life, but I don't think you're living a focused life. And that's the kind of friend you want to have. I said, really? And he just began to say, this, 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 this. You got your hand in so many things. But are you doing the one thing, the clear thing that God's called you to do? And so I started carving out some other stuff and trying to focus it. And I think you and I, we, because we have potential, we like to get our hands on lots of things. And we can do lots of things. And we can be busy lots of with lots of things. And we live on this constant treadmill. This constant treadmill of busyness. But the problem is, is that when we're busy, we often forego fruitfulness because we're busy. And who cares if we're busy if we're not fruitful? Like that's a common response. Are you busy? Yeah, staying busy. Got a lot going. Man, it's crazy. Man, we, and, 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 and that's not the barometer of success. No, we want to we wanna stand before God and go, am I fruitful? Am, am, am I abiding in the vine and authentically bearing fruit? That's the success level. That's the thing that we're looking for. We're looking for it to authentically bear fruit. So I want to encourage you tonight. Maybe you know your calling and tonight it's just God coming and just slapping you in the face and saying, remember your calling. Maybe tonight you're not quite sure what your calling is. I mean, you stumbled your way, you know, through Bible college and 
you know, passed, finally. Did it online. Would you say what I did? All right. And then you find yourself just kind of stumbling through, kind of doing the thing that you're supposed to do. Maybe, maybe tonight you need to just hear God and, and get calling. So that's the next point. How, how, how do I get calling? Calling just comes from being with God. And we see this even in the Luke text right here in Luke 4. When Jesus comes out and has laser clear and is able to say, nope, I'm not going to stay. I know it's good, to, it's good for me to cast out demons and heal the sick and preach with authority, but I'm on mission and I know what my father has called me to do. And no matter, even if you come looking for me while I'm trying to have my quiet time, you're not going to be able to, to pull me away from what God's called me to do. It says that he had that clarity right after he had been alone with his father in a solitary place. If you want strength to know your calling, get alone with God. Be alone with him. Calling comes from God. And hearing your calling comes from being alone with God. That's where you'll hear your calling. And all of us wrestle with this. I wrestle with this. So I'm preaching to myself tonight. This is, this is where I live. I mean, at this rate, you know, I'm going to be 75-year-old youth pastor. That seems like that's my calling right now. And I went through puberty in my 30s. I mean, I'm like, it's... It's hard, you know, all of us have our different journeys where we're trying to figure out, God, what, how does this work? What are you calling me to? But Jesus, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place and he's alone with his father. And after being with his father, he's got clarity. He knows. And so that's what this weekend is about. It's about you being alone with your father. It's about you being with other people that are marvelous comrades that can encourage you in it. That's about you hearing God for the ministry vision that he's called you to do. And that might look like change. And hear me when I'm saying this. I know that I started off really strong about talking about uh, staying steady where you're at. There's, I, there's all, there's, I, I'm not talking mostly geography. Sometimes it's geography. Sometimes the, the, what needs to stay steady in terms of assignment and calling has to do with gifting. So I'm not, I'm not, if, 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 if you're in the middle of a move, right, that's great. I'm, I'm, but I'm mostly talking about staying true to your assignment, being faithful to what God's called you to do and not detouring from it because you have options. Because another good gig came along. That's the American way of ministry. It's not the Jesus way. Hey, I got a better gig. A church offered me to be the senior pastor and now I get to work with people that are out of, <laughs> they're out of puberty, you know. It's really, it's refreshing, you know. And that might be it. But God might have called you to said, stay right where you're at. Stay faithful. So tomorrow morning, we're going to give you time to just be alone with God. We're going to we're going to turn this whole place into feeling like a coffee shop mentality. We're going to have coffees and of course, I believe that's where the glory of God rests in coffee shops. And so when I think about how do we help hundreds of youth pastors encounter God, I'm like, turn the World Prayer Center into a coffee shop. Brilliant idea. <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to give you time to just be alone with God, to just connect with him. And I believe that out of that, and some of you, you're, you know, you're with God a lot, and some of you aren't. Some of you, you want to, but you don't. And some of you, it's, but, but, but. I believe, and I think you believe, we will feel called and like we've got a mission and we've got something to die for when we've been with God. 
And when we haven't been with God, then we feel frustrated when we've got interior traffic driving us crazy because we don't know what to do with our lives. But when we've been with God, we've got a sense of mission. We've got a, we've got a sense of clarity. And though it might be difficult circumstance, we're clear that God's with us in the midst of it and we know that he's called us to it. And he's called us to be faithful, plowing the ground that he's called us to be faithful in. So tomorrow morning, we're just going to do that. We're going to spend time there, just doing that, just being with God. And I love Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17. He says in verse 4, I have brought you, speaking to the Father, Jesus says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Jesus, alone with his Father, about to embrace the cross, looks to his Father and recognizes that I have finished the work. That is what we want. Alone with God, looking at him saying, and we can just say, we want to be able to say that at the end of our lives, but we want to be able to say it about the last year. We want to be able to say it about the last day. I knew the mission that you had called me to, and I finished the work that you called me to do yesterday. I finished the work that you called me to do. And we'll have clarity about that work that he's called us to do when we're alone with him like Jesus' example. When we're alone with the Father the way that Jesus is alone with the Father, Jesus had clarity about his mission. Jesus knew exactly what he was called to do. He stayed on mission. He was able to endure much difficulty, much agony, and stayed faithful to it. And so we want to work that way. We want to do everything we can to try to have our favorite place be alone with God. Like that's... That's where we're renewed. That's where we get a sense of identity. That's where we're, it's like home. Everybody say home. Your home is alone with God. And your temptation is for your home to be in a hobby, recreation, somewhere where you feel successful. Something, but, but, but the dream in the Christian journey is to have home, the place that you love to be, the place that you feel rest, the place that you delight in, the place that you want to go right after, after you finish the assignment, after you finish the work that God's called you, your favorite place is just to be set back and go back home. Go back. Home is your place alone with God. It's like home. It's like where you want to be. I was um, playing kickball with my kids this year. And uh, I have, a, I have uh, Dawson and Olivia are my two oldest. And then um, Adeline and, and Justice are my two youngest. And so when we play kickball, we always play Dawson and Olivia, the two oldest against, the, we call them the bigs and the littles, against uh, me and the, the two littles. And so Adeline was three as we were playing this, or she was four. And, um, and we have, right behind our house, we have a park. And uh, there's not like a street or anything. It's just our house, is, there's our, we have a gate that goes right to a city park. And so we play kickball at this park all the time. And... Uh, and so we go through our gate and walk over to the baseball diamond and play kickball. And, and we, was playing, we were playing the bigs versus the littles. And uh, the bigs usually beat us. Um, justice being two often isn't an asset. Um, <laughs> and, and so, anyway, and so uh, Adeline, uh, I, I kicked it and, and Adeline was on first base and she was running around to second and then she started towards third and it was... It was kind of looked like Dawson was going to get her out. And so I looked and I just started screaming just like a dad at the top of my voice. I was like, Adeline, run home, run home. And so she rounds third base and she hears her dad say, run home. And so she looks and she sees a baseball diamond and she sees her house and she just starts running to her house as fast <laughs> as she can. And she just ran home. It's what she knows. 
In her context, that's the only place. That's what home is. She doesn't know baseball language, kickball language. And I loved it. And I love, I love, I, I love the analogy of our favorite place, even like a little kid. A little kid going to the place that she knows, going to the place that she knows to be home, and you and I going home. You and I knowing our favorite place is to be alone with God. The way, the place where vision comes is when we're alone with him, when we're with him. The last thing I want to encourage you with is this. Be content with your calling. This is the hard one. Be content with your calling. I want to read out Philippians 4. Paul says this, the famous verse. For I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is probably the most misquoted verse because everybody takes this and applies the American way, right? Pull yourself up by the bootstraps, the American way, rags to riches. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, I can be Kobe Bryant. I can be the best basketball player. I could be Bill Gates. I could do whatever I want to do because Christ strengthens me. And we often have it twisted. Because what Paul's talking about here is enduring suffering. Paul's saying, hey, I've been, I, whether in hardship or in want, no matter what I've gone through, whether I've been in need, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. I'm on a mission to reach the Gentile world. I've got a goal to help the Gentiles come into the kingdom. And I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. And then he comes along and says, I can do all these things. Whether I'm hungry, well-fed, plenty or want, whatever. I can do all these things. And he's speaking about his calling and enduring the suffering, the pain of enduring his calling. Doing the thing when Jesus appeared to him in Acts chapter 9 and changed his whole life calling and gave him something clearly to do. And he's saying, I've learned the secret of being content and I can do this. I can do this through Christ. And so when you quote that verse, it's not looking through your Twitter feed and saying, I can be like that guy through Christ who gives me strength. Christ who gives me strength, I can't even switch my calling. No, 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 no. Through Christ who gives you strength, you can hear God's voice in the secret place and stay faithful to your assignment. And we go, no, no, I don't, want to, I don't want to do my assignment. I want Tim Tebow's assignment. Right? I want to be famous for God and rich and cool. I want Carrie Job's assignment. Right? That's what we want. Right? I want Chuck Norris's assignment. Just... I want some, some assignment other than my assignment in these, this church with these kids. With my gift set and my abilities and my connections, my money or my lack of. And our temptation is to constantly, constantly be discontent with our calling. I don't want to do my calling. What somebody else is calling. And yet the reward that we're looking for is when we stand before him one day. We say, God, I said no to the options. I said no to my potential because I want to say yes to obedience. I want to 
say I say yes to exactly what you call me to. And we can get close to this. Now, I know we got good days and bad days, and sometimes it's hard, and sometimes we miss it. I'm talking in huge generality here in terms of our life calling. I know that we go through different seasons where it kind of, you know, it feels like we kind of go through, we learn a little bit and we come back. But for the most part, day in and day back, we keep getting reset back on where God's called us to be in our assignment. John the Baptist, I think, is one of the great heroes that was faithful to this. I love what he said. You can imagine John the Baptist, the great epic preacher. John 3, 26. They came to John the Baptist and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one, who, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and look at this, and everyone is going to him. Your preaching ministry is suffering. They're all going to Jesus. That's what John says. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Let me read that again. John the Baptist, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. That is hard to swallow, isn't it? Americans, we don't like that. We like, hey, we're all equal, and if I try really hard, then I can be as, I can be as cool as Tim Tebow. I can sing as good as Carrie. I just, I just, I just got to work harder or something. And yet it's not really true. We have different gifts that God's given us. And we've got different assignments that God's given us. And so trying to get out of that so that you can feel the applause of others. Because we want comfort. Or we want financial comfort. We want people to applaud us. It's so tempting. And to just accept this. <sighs> A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. And it is now complete. He says this. He must become greater. I must become less. We want to walk away with that tonight. He must become greater. I must become less. And every time we say yes to our calling, Jesus should become greater and we should become yes, less. Every time you say yes to your calling, you're making Jesus greater and you're becoming less. And every time you stray from your calling in order to puff out your chest and do something bigger, better, better, Jesus is becoming smaller and you're becoming greater. And it's our great temptation. Because the world tells us, you go be great. And Jesus says, no, make me great. You become less. And we live in that. And we live in this constant tension. We're trying to daily go low so he can be great. So that he can become greater. So our prayers, Jesus, be great. You and I, the tempting prayers, Jesus, make me great. Jesus says, no, no, I want you to pray that he would be great. That he would be famous. He would be glorified. And as, as ministry workers living in 2013, living in our era, our temptation is, is, to, is, to, is to try to be great, to try to do things on our own sometimes. And if you think about John the Baptist, look at his story. Look at his ministry career. 
Think about this. Think about supernatural birth, meaning dad goes mute, prophecy, you know, he's coming, right? The word comes true. Zachariah suddenly can talk. John the Baptist's mom gives birth in her old age. It's miraculous. Pretty good start. Not to mention the supernatural story about John the Baptist leaping in the womb and all that and how that works. I have no idea. And then John the Baptist has big crowds coming out to listen to him. I mean, he's, he's, he's rocking it. And it's, in those days, it's not, you know, like an easy walk. I mean, when they're walking to the Jordan River, it, it, it's, it's a long walk to go hear the preacher. They listen to the preacher. And then Jesus comes along and John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. That's a pretty big assignment, right? Audible voice from heaven comes. That's pretty cool. I mean, I don't know. I'd take it, right? I mean, John the Baptist had a pretty amazing ministry career when it started. <laughs> but it ended pretty rough. Remember that? The party joke? Herod's wife, right? Or Herod's daughter dances and they say, hey, we want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Can you imagine John the Baptist sitting in a dark dungeon prison cell? Remembering the glory days? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, 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 I had a supernatural birth. I, 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 I mean, I'm a fulfillment of Isaiah 40. I, I was saying, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. I baptized Jesus. I heard the audible voice. Are you kidding me? I mean, my mom and dad supernaturally had me. God, God did a miracle for me to be born. And here I am now, sitting in a prison cell, about to, about to die as some kind of party joke for Herod. I mean, can you imagine sitting in that prison cell? prior to be, being beheaded. Imagine that assignment. Here's the reality. John the Baptist had no idea what the score was. He had no idea what the real score was. Right? Because when he stood before God, he had no idea that he would be the infamous Christian martyr. He had no idea that Jesus was saying right then about him in Matthew eleven eleven, he's the greatest man ever born of a woman. You know, idea that Jesus was saying of him in John 5, he's a burning and shining lamp and giving him these great accolades from God himself in the incarnation. One, you know, Jesus Christ communicating ideas that would go down in the written word of God to inspire Christianity for thousands of years. John the Baptist didn't know what the score was. He could only, all he could see was his perspective. I had promises. Now I'm sitting in a dungeon. I used to see stuff happen. I was a famous preacher. I heard the audible voice. I baptized Jesus. But he couldn't see. He, he, he couldn't see like the father sees. He didn't know what the score was. You don't, know, you don't know what the score is. One day when you stand before God, who knows? Who knows what God's going to say about you? We like to see the people that are big deal. We like to see the people who have a big salary, comfort, go, surely that's my calling. <laughs> surely that's, that's where I'm supposed to be. But who knows? 
Who knows when the scores are settled and the great equalizer of eternity goes. Little old lady in the rocking chair, the intercessor crying out to God, that surpasses the famous preacher from so-and-so. Because you were faithful to your assignment and he actually wasn't even in his assignment. He was just feeding his ego. Who knows? Who knows that God doesn't look at you and you're faithful in your youth ministry assignment and go, you win. You are faithful. God's not impressed with potential. God's impressed with obedience. He's impressed with you being faithful to the thing that he's called you to do. I was uh, at my son's football game. He's eight and he's playing on a flag football team with six to eight-year-olds. So he's the oldest, which is cool. And uh, funny thing about their little flag football is that there's no scoreboard and they don't keep score, but the kids keep score, right? And so what's, what's comical to me is we don't have, they don't have, they don't have goalposts, so there's no extra point. And yet six to eight-year-olds, it is so complicated. Football is actually really complicated in scoring, right? For six to eight-year-olds, right? Because some of them know that you get six points, but then they always go for two, right? Because there's no field. So they, every time they go for two. And so some of the kids think when they score a goal it's, or they score a touchdown, it's one point. But they hear go for two and they've heard other people say. So they're, and to listen to them talk, it, it, they're a little, like they're on, I'm standing there listening to the huddle as they're talking at the end of the game. And they've just been dominated. I mean, my son's team got rocked. And to listen to those boys talk, they were like, we won 44 to 29. And another boy was like, oh, yeah, no, no, we won 37 to 15. And another kid was like, no, it was three to five. And, but they're all confident that they won. They're clue, it's really complicated exactly how it works because they always know they, they don't have extra points. And some of them think it's a goal like soccer and they just, it's, they have no clue. And yet they have the funniest conversations because all of them are the heroes of the game. Every time they're like, well, I threw the, the, the pass and the other goes, well, I caught it. And, the other, and they're all the heroes of their own story. None of them know what the real score is. They all think that they won. And I thought that's just like us, right? We can't see the scoreboard. There is no scoreboard, right? And yet we all think we know what the score is. We all go, he's got a big church. He's got this. She's got that. They're successful. They're, I'm this. I'm, and, I, and you don't have a clue. Compared to the infinite God, the creator, who says that every cup of cold water is rewarded, the God who looks at us and says, I desire obedience above everything, you don't have a clue what the score is. You don't have a grid. You may stand before God one day, and if you said yes in obedience to the most obscure ministry, but you were obedient, then the televangelist who had millions of dollars and lived comfortably and had everybody know his name may be thousands of points behind in terms of favor with God. Who knows? You don't know. All we know is to be faithful. All we know is to be obedient. All we know is to stay clear on our assignment. And how do we get that? We get along with God. We re-sign up every day. We go, all right, God. I want to hear your voice today. 
I want to stay clear on my ministry calling. And in good days and on bad days, I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to stay steady. And I'm going to fulfill the assignment. And we want to have as the confession of our lives. When we get to the end, we look to the Father just like Jesus did and say, Father, I have finished the work that you called me to do. And that's it. That is where we land. That's who we are. I'm going to invite you to stand. 